to Romans chapter 8, and we'll read a familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, then we're going to take one part of one verse for our subject today. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Verse 28, of course, all these verses, very comforting to the believer in Christ. Verse 28 reads, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom he justified them, he also glorified. I'm going to read verse 31 because I always like these questions. What shall we say then to these things? What do you say? I say amen. amen. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. Yes. But we'll look in verse 29. And there it says that whom he foreknew, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And our subject today will be conformity, conformity to Christ, or as it says here, conformed to the image of his Son. Now, this obviously is speaking of believers because the things said in these verses, those five foundational and fundamental things concerning our salvation and those wonderful doctrines there apply only to those who believe, to those who these things are real and experiential in that sense. Conformity to Christ. This is a subject that is not foreign to you because I have preached it to you before, just not using the title conformity to Christ. But it is what many times we are exactly speaking about synonymously when we talk about growing in grace and growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ was Paul's exhortation to believers of the New Testament in the church. So when he uttered those words of growing in grace and knowledge, he was talking about conformity to Christ. When we speak to you on the subject of bearing fruit or fruit bearing as believers, we're talking about conformity to Christ. We're just looking at it from a different perspective, but again, it's the same process. And many times we call that process or that progressive work of God in the believer while we're alive here and on this earth as the work of sanctification. So it is synonymous with sanctification. Conformity to Christ is being sanctified. All right. When we talk about good works, we're talking about conformity to Christ and fruit-bearing, etc., etc. And even the doctrine of perseverance persevering is conformity to Christ. So again, not a new subject, not a foreign subject, just represented in other ways, other words, other expressions in the New Testament. Now we're studying in Sunday school, of course, Holy War by John Bunyan. And you might remember when we studied Pilgrim Progress and the time in which Bunyan lived in England... 
people like Bunyan, Baptist, and those who opposed the Church of England and the state church were called a certain label. You remember what that label was? They were nonconformist. <laughs> they did not conform to the mandates of the king or queen and the state church of England. And again, without going into any detail, uh, you know, the political embraced the religious as it does in Catholicism in so many places. Well, the same thing under Henry VIII happened in England. He just started his own church because he didn't like the one and there are things that were coming down to him personally from Rome. Not a history lesson. But again, Bunyan and others who believed the Bible were nonconformists. And really, God's people have always been nonconformists to the world, uh, to the world's ideas, to the world's churches, to the religions of the world, and so forth. So if you're going to be conformed to Christ... Let me tell you, you will be, as Bunyan and others always have been, a nonconformist to the world system, denominationalism, and other religions in that respect. Now, today, the, Christ, the word Christian is so loosely used. And the Bible explicitly tells us here, that the believer is predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. What about Christians who bear no conformity to Christ? Well, if there's no conformity, we must question their very Christianity, as we would question our own or each other's in that regard. The Bible speaks that Christians, a true Christian, is someone who has been born again. And to give you an analogy, I would say to you, it seems like a lot of Christians today have only had their appendix removed. But they've never had a heart transplant. You get my illustration? And that's very sad. And the only way we really know we are Christians or validate our Christianity is by conformity to Christ. The text says we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Why should we believe somebody is a believer if there's no conformity to Christ? This is God's purpose. This is God's ordination. This is God's predestination. God knows no failure. And that's why when we look at human history, we see the people of God identified explicitly by their conformity to Christ. Many times, you know, we point to the Puritans who got that name because of a strict conformity to Christ in, re in regards I think we need more Puritan things today. And when we talk about being conformed to Christ, we're talking about being holy as He is holy. Well, the verse speaks there explicitly of predestination. The other things there of God's sovereign grace. And the Bible is not just saying in our text that the only predestination there is is a conformity to Christ. The Bible makes it clear from Ephesians chapter 1 that, again, election, predestination, uh, those are the very foundational things. Foreknowledge in Romans here that we have read are the very foundations of our salvation. 
uh, in Ephesians 1 and 4 speaks their chosenness in Him from the foundation of the world. Verse 5, synonymously with that, predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of God. So, we cannot, point being, be predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son if we have not previously, of course, been embraced, we do not embrace predestination unto salvation, which synonymously speaks of our election unto salvation. So we're talking about clearly here believers in that regard who are predestined, elected, foreknown, chosen, adopted, Many other things could be said, and ultimately also predestined to conformity to Christ. So we don't separate this from predestination to salvation, but it is a follow-up to predestination to salvation that when God saves us, He doesn't leave us as we are, but there is a conforming to the person of Christ. Now, again, I say to you today, we've got all kinds and types of people running around claiming to be Christians who have shown no signs of putting off the old man. And Christianity has accepted that today. Shame on them. A practicing homosexual should not claim to be a Christian. A practicing drug addict, a practicing adulterer, a practicing habitual thief, liar, drunkard, or any other things that we could name should not even label themselves as a Christian because the Bible says that a true born-again Christian is a new creation in Christ. And the old things have been put off, put away, left behind. And there is a newness of life. And I must mention that because, again, this is Christianity conforming to the world, not to Christ, to accept such things that you can be whatever you want to be, remain as you are, and still have that ticket in your hand to heaven. God's Word knows nothing of that. In fact, Christ said it very plainly when He's talked about fruit bearing in John 15 and 16. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And as surely, now don't leave it there. And as he said, and I paraphrase, as surely as I have chosen you, I ordain you to bring forth fruit. So he didn't stop there. They go together. And when they don't manifest themselves together, we have every right to say, what? You know? You're using that term in a disgraceful way. Because our Bible and our Lord and the apostles taught again, come out from among them and be ye separate. We know nothing of Christians remaining among them, but coming out from among them to manifest who we are and to be that light that shines unto them. Called out of darkness to be a light. Conformity to Christ. What are we talking about? We use the word. I mentioned to you about nonconformist and bunion and what have you. But let's define it, shall we? To conform to something is to become the same or similar, doesn't it? 
If we conform to a law, we have accepted it, we have submitted to it, we have acknowledged it, and we obey it in that sense. And uh, this word, the actual word here in our text, conformed here, there's other another word that's translated in our Bible, conform, but it's not this word. This particular word is only translated one other time, and that is in Philippians. And we'll look at that very quickly because I think it gives us the best definition, even better than Webster's, for conform in the Bible. In Philippians 3, in verse 20, we read, For our conversation is in heaven, and that literally conversation there could be citizenship. Okay? Our ultimate behavior or conduct as citizens is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, and that is at His appearing, that it may be fashioned like, and that's our word there, conform, defined or translated as fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now Christ in his resurrected glorified body has a body that we're going to be like. The Bible says we don't know what we're going to be like, but we're going to be like him as he is. That's what this verse is saying. Whatever he is and he was when he came from the tomb resurrected is what we're going to be. So we're not going to be different than Him. We're not going to take on angelic beings. We're not going to conform to angels. We're going to conform to our Lord. Be fashioned like. You know, uh, we got one of our granddaughters here, and she happens to be a twin. And you know, one of the common things with twins, and it was with them when they were little, is they dressed the same. One was fashioned like the other. That could be the clothes that they were wearing. It could be the way their hair was done or anything else. It could be a number of things. And that's the idea here. It's not just one thing. It should embrace many things. And for example, our attitude, our temperament, our prayerfulness, our submission, our love. I mean, we could just go on and on. And that's what we're up against. An example of this, I believe, one of the great examples in Scripture is in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. And here we're looking at some of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and John chapter 3 and chapter 4, and in verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. There is conformity to Christ. That doesn't mean they spoke like a Galilean. No. It means their manner of life, their purpose of life, their outlook of life, their day-to-day living and behavior and conversation and like was similar to this individual they knew as Jesus of Nazareth. They connected the dots through character, behavior, and other things. And that is exactly what we're talking about here, about a conformity to Christ. Evidence 
of knowing Christ. Evidence of faith in Christ in that regard. We might just throw another kind of Old Testament illustration out there. How in the world would people know when Moses came down off the mount with those tablets in his hand that he didn't just spend 40 days and 40 nights up there making that stuff up all by himself. It's hypothetical, but it's a legitimate question, is it not? Now, there are other things, obviously, that Moses had done that would cause one to believe that he didn't make that stuff up by himself. But there was something that no doubt made those tablets genuine in the eyes of the people that they indeed had been written by the finger of God. And that was Moses' face was just glowing like the sunbeam. He had been in the presence of the Almighty. That, he might fake something on tablets of stone. He couldn't fake the radiance of the glory of the Almighty on his face. And remember, he had to wear a veil. <laughs> Very interesting, wasn't it? So again, there was no doubt in that regard that he had been in the presence of God. And I, I bring that up because it ought to be that evident with us. Now, I'm not laying more on you than the Bible lays on me and you. That if we are believers in Christ, it ought to be just about as evident to the world as it was Moses' face glowing externally. I mean, again, are we happy? Are we content? Are we submissive? Are we thankful? There's so many things that radiate out of the new nature, out of the born-again Christian. It is the Spirit of God beaming forth in word, in conduct, in whatever. Like John and Peter. Something about these guys. Man, they've been with Christ. Again, talk like, act like, whatever. So many things. And again, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is heaven. You know, people shouldn't have to pick through you, your life, your mannerism to try to find Christ in there somewhere, should they? Or me. It ought to be evident. If they're around us for any, any piece of time, even a short, brief period of time, which sometimes that may be the only time you've got to be a testimony to somebody, so it's always very important. We ought to be radiating something that speaks of Christ. Now, contrary to that, if we're radiating stuff that speaks of us, we're on the wrong track. I mean, that's, and that's not. That's what people do naturally. You know? They, they want to present themselves to people. Who do you want people to see when you meet somebody? Who do you want to convey to somebody? Well, hopefully, if you're a real believer, you want to convey Christ. What's that song we sing, Christ in me? You know? That's what we want people to see. We, don't, we want the me part to be hid behind the him. Christ in me. So... To be conformed to Christ is something else, according to Romans 12 and 1. To be conformed to Christ is to be transformed within. We are in a conforming process. 
We're not, we're not Christ-like 100% in any way, shape, or form. And we won't be in this life. But we're trying to up the percentage or the Christ-likeness every day, every week, every month, every year to His glory. And the Bible warns us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed. And transformed is similar to conformed. Except that when God saved you, when you were born again, there was an immediate, instantaneous and miraculous transformation that happened within you. It would be like getting electrocuted or flipping a switch. I mean, it's that powerful. It's that miraculous. It's that radical a change. Something died and something was made alive at the same moment, in the same instant. So that transformation was, you might say in one phase, immediate and instantaneous and manifest itself in our conversion. But at the same time, The one that was instantaneous, miraculous inside is being progressively happening outside also. So there is a transforming outwardly that is what we're talking about, a conformity to Christ. And again, it's all in that sense, sanctification. Now, conformity to the image of His Son to the person of Christ. Conformity to someone is a very easy thing to understand because we are all the natural offspring of our parents and their parents and their brothers and sisters and we have those genes there and you can look many times if you pay attention. This always puzzled me when I was a kid but as I've got older and become a parent and a grandparent it's very obvious. I remember people telling me when I was a little boy stuff, well, you look like so-and-so, or you take after so-and-so, you know, and it may not even be a male of the family. Well, you take after, uh, you know, your aunt. or uh, certain, certain characteristics manifest themselves, whether it is the look, whether it is the eye, whether it is the hair, or whatever it may be, character, conduct, attitude, mannerisms, many things. It's inevitable. And it's meant to be so. We take after those we're around. Parents, what have you. Sometime genetically it's there and there ain't a thing in the world you can do about it. But in many other ways it is mannerisms that we just subconsciously adopt because that's the way they talked or the way they acted. I've told you before. And I have to watch this. I, I remember specifically places I've went. I, I went to Mississippi deer hunting sometime. And those people talk pretty fast in different ways. I noticed that. I got to notice myself. First time I went down there, if I remember correctly, after two or three days, I was talking like them. And I wasn't trying to do it. It's just you just pick it up, you know. And so I was conforming to their speech. Well, I hang out down there long enough, I conform to the things they eat. 
And the stores they go to and the clothes, that's what we're talking about. You pick these things up. And just as it's easy to do that outwardly by visiting another part of the country or another people that speak different, it should be that easy for us by the power of the Spirit to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is what we're talking about. He is the first begotten and the only begotten Son. He had the fullness of the Spirit of God. As we read to you in Ephesians 1 a while ago, we are adopted sons, but we have the same Spirit. Whereby it is possible, and that's the only way it's possible, through the Spirit and obedience of the Word of God, to be conformed into what we call Christ-likeness. There's a scripture that says, put on the mind of Christ. What's that mean? It means think like he thought. What what went on in his head? What was he thinking about? Well, the primary thing he thought about always was pleasing the Father, glorifying the Father. That was the first, if there was a first thing on his mind in his incarnation, it was the will of the Father, pleasing the Father. Self was not to be found nowhere. And in obedience to that, that's who he was. And that's what we're to be. And that's the best it gets, folks, by the way. Let's talk a little bit about how this actually happens. Again, I've been touching on it. How are we conformed in the likeness of Christ? Well, just like I said, put on the mind of Christ. Focus on the things he focused on. Don't focus on the things that he belittled as nothing. That's what we naturally tend to do. Uh, The priorities are not the here and now. It's the there and hereafter, you know. I mean, our faith looks ahead. Our roots don't go deep here. You know, it's a matter of priorities. What is our motive? What is our desires? What are our actions manifesting to others? What kind of mannerisms are we speaking to in our habits on the job, in the school, wherever we go? What are we saying to others? As we often say, we're advertising every moment of our lives something to somebody. Is it Christ-likeness? And of course, as I said at the very beginning, the only person who can really be conformed to Christ is a person who's been born again. If you know Him not, if you have not the Spirit of God dwelling in you, then the best you can do is temporary confirmation or reforming. And it's not going to last. That dog will go back to his vomit. That sow will go back to the mire. But the person who has truly been born again, again, has been changed. And the desire is to be like Him. Let's pursue that thought here before we close, shall we? I mean, little children. We have grandchildren here today. We have uh, small children from time to time. As a little child without much understanding, a little child always wants to be like somebody, don't they? I mean, mom, maybe dad, maybe uncle, maybe aunt, maybe Superman, maybe somebody they've seen, somebody they've read about in book. But that's just natural, isn't it? Uh, and we ask children sometimes, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and as little children, they may want to be, well, I'm telling my age, but I don't care, a comic book hero. We don't have comic books anymore. But all kinds of things people look up to. Well, it's the same idea with a Christian. And you know, i got to go back to that. It is so sad, isn't it, that 
the person, whoever they are, whatever they're engaged in in life, who only pursues being like some other human being, that's the vanity of life. Even if that person not only conforms to, but, but bypasses their mentor, either in knowledge or achievement or whatever, what does that amount to in the end? What does the gold medal with, or what does the Olympian with all the gold medals really amount to when it comes down? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Those things are fine in their proper perspective. But if your life, your whole life, is motivated to winning a gold medal in the Olympics or to obtaining a PhD in physics, or anything else, winning the Masters in golf, and I'm using athletics because it's such an easy analogy. What will that mean in eternity? In eternity, in heaven or hell, do you think the angels are going to bow down to somebody with Olympic gold medals? Or anything else? No, of course not. You know who they're going to bow down to and who they're going to serve? Those who've been conformed to Christ. The Bible says we'll rule over the angels. Special place, not because we're qualified, but because we're blessed. Blessed. So it's always a burden, and we must teach children. You know, earthly mentors are just that. <laughs> earthly mentors. They're not perfect. And sadly, we find that out. How many young child's mentor or hero has been shattered when something bad came out about them? And boy, it seems to be happening more and more today because there aren't many heroes or mentors out there in our culture and civilization today to direct a kid to look up to, is there? I mean, in fact, it's absolutely pathetic. They look bad, talk bad, carry on bad, go half naked or whatever today. There's not the clean, pure character persons that we can direct children to and say, look at this person. But as believers, we don't look to men, do we? You shouldn't look to me except in a degree. I shouldn't look to you except in a degree to learn and to follow. Where you're following Christ, that's where I want to be. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I can follow you, you can follow me if we're following Christ. And we'll be the better for it. But here's a beautiful thing. The believer who is being conformed to the image of Christ will get to spend eternity with our mentor. We'll spend forever and ever with our hero. And he'll always be our hero because more than a hero, he's our savior. You know, heroes have just done something to be looked up to. We don't look at Jesus for that. We look at Jesus more than that because Jesus loved us and gave himself for us and washed us from our sins and lives within us and one day is coming for us that we may be with Him where He is. So this conformity is not just the here and now. It's going to take on a different aspect when we go to be with Him.
We read about it in Philippians when we started. We'll close with that. That when Christ, who is our hope, shall appear, then this body, the last thing to be conformed, will be conformed to His image. So our text speaks of predestined to the image of Christ. That's a here and now. And it will be culminated in conformity to His glorious, resurrected, sinless body. That's what we have to look forward to. It's a wonderful thing to think, talk about conformity to Christ. We're not what we were. What we are is not what we're becoming. And what we're becoming is not what we will be. That's conformity to Christ. Let me say it again. The Bible gives us this and tells us this. And we're engaged in this process. Because if you're a believer and you're in this process of seeking to be conformed to the image of God's Son, that's the predestinating grace of our God. And in that, we look at ourselves today and we say, well, I'm not what I was. But we are what we are by what He has done. But we are becoming more than what we are because we're conforming. And ultimately, what we will be is what He is. Now, I like the tune of every bit of that. How about you? Conformity to Christ. Culminated in finally being able to be what in this life we can't be. And that's getting rid of this fleshly, sinful body and have a glorious sinless body like His. Wow. That is the hope of the believer. I pray that is what you're living for this day. If we are born again, saved by the grace of God and our Lord Jesus who gave Himself for us, then our greatest desire should be to be like Him and to please Him. And God has given us His Word and His Spirit whereby we can be successful in that process. May God help us to live that way till He comes for us. God bless this to your hearing.